something happens during Paul's first missionary journey. When we were last in Acts, we just finished considering that entire odyssey, which he shared with Barnabas. There was fantastic preaching of the good news. There were a great number of converts, both Jew and Gentile. Mostly Gentile, but there were a lot more of them. Gentiles, that is. There was opposition from the Jews. Misunderstanding and opposition from the Gentiles. They tried to kill Paul. <laughs> Pretty misunderstanding. But there were even miracles. But none of that was so very strange in the first century church. What interests me is what's missing. If you can think back with me a few years ago, those of you who were here, you might remember when we discussed Jesus last evening with his disciples before he was crucified. They were saddened that he was going away, as he said. But Jesus was trying to help them understand that this was a good part of God's plan. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, but I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Jesus would go away, but he would come back. And part of his going away was to prepare a place for them and for us. And so, an advance in his plan is in order. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Another Helper, the Greek word is paraclete, will come to help them. To help them do what? What did Jesus say? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. I cannot say it better than Sinclair Ferguson. Most remarkable of all, Jesus goes to the Father in order to prepare a dwelling place for the disciples while the paraclete comes from the Father in order to prepare a dwelling place for the Father and the Son. Jesus goes to the Father in order to prepare a dwelling place for the disciples while the paraclete comes from the Father in order to prepare a dwelling place for the Father and the Son. That's amazing. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune Godhead, will come to make Jesus' disciples a place where the Father and Son can live. Incredibly, we find, as the Scriptures move along, that we also will be made into a dwelling place suitable for the Father and the Son. And every believer will display evidence of the Holy Spirit's residence in them once he comes. <laughs> and here's where we get to what's missing in Paul's first missionary journey. Back on that evening, Jesus told his disciples a specific day would come when the Holy Spirit would be given to them. We now know that that day was only ten days after Jesus bodily ascended to heaven, Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Jews from all over the world were gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And these, obviously Galilean Jews, were praising God in the languages of all those visiting Jews. Peter explained to the crowd, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. This intelligible speaking in a language that they never learned was, Peter said, what Joel was talking about. Now you may have noticed with me that Joel didn't say a thing about talking in foreign languages. In fact, the only clear connection we can find at all is that the Spirit's coming. What Peter must be saying is that this speaking in a perfectly understandable other language, tongues, is a sign that what Joel prophesied was coming to pass. Clearly not everything Joel said, and he said much more than we just read, has come to pass. This then is the beginning of what God, through Joel, prophesied. The very beginning of the end, the last days. But Joel, and Peter after him, did say on all flesh. Everybody listening to Peter would know that that meant people of all nations. People who spoke any language. So speaking in these other languages emphasized the universal application of the sacrifice of Jesus. Well, at least to the Jews in every nation, right? (laughs) Well, just a few years later, Philip went to Samaria and a great number of these half-breed Jews believed. Peter and John came to them and prayed that they receive the Holy Spirit and some miraculous sign, probably speaking clearly in languages they never learned, is given to show that they have the Holy Spirit in them. So we have a clear sign that the Holy Spirit was given to them, preparing them to be a residence for the Father and the Son. Half-Jews, not real Jews at all. The disciples were excited anyway, and basically they say, well, okay, God, whatever you want. Really? Are you sure? After a few more years, the most amazing occurrence of all happens. Well, amazing to those first century Jews. Peter is instructed by God to go to the house of a Gentile, and not just to it, but in it. Jews don't go in Gentiles' houses, ever. But Peter does. (laughs) And he tells them of Jesus. They believe. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come come up with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Once again, a tremendous sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit the titanic effect this had on the Jews can hardly be understated or overstated. Gentiles, without converting to Judaism, were being made into a dwelling place for the Father and the Son by the Spirit. At least those half-Jews believed in some kind of temple worship of the one true God. They accepted much of the Old Testament as God's Word. They even circumcised their sons. But Gentiles those who don't follow any of the rules of the Hebrew Bible, they don't even know what's in it. 
so fantastic was this event that when Peter got back to Jerusalem, the Jewish believers were there made him explain himself. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? The miraculous occurrence of speaking in tongues was a sign, a proof to those Jews that the Holy Spirit lived in those Gentiles. That they were being prepared for the Father and the Son. This sign was first given to the Jews at Pentecost, then the Samaritans, and now the Gentiles. Okay. After all this, (laughs) now we're ready to understand. Let's go back to Paul in his first epic missionary journey and our question of what's missing. Why is there no record of anyone speaking in tongues during Paul's first quest? None. Zero. There are other kinds of miracles. For sure, healing people. Why doesn't this miracle happen every time people believe? In fact, there is only one other recorded occurrence of people being given this ability to speak a language that they didn't learn in the whole Bible. It's two decades after the Jews were shocked when the Gentiles received this gift. And it's the only time Luke records Paul being connected with speaking in tongues. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland company and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. Well, this is a remarkable occurrence. These men had been baptized by John, so they knew there was a coming Messiah. But they had never heard of the Holy Spirit, let alone Jesus. Paul had to go way back and teach them about the Messiah, the good news of Jesus. Verse 4, where Paul says that John's great, but Jesus is the Lord, is probably the condensed version of an hour or more of discussion. And then, through the laying on of Paul's hands, they immediately began to praise God in a language they had not learned. In other words, the presence of the Holy Spirit was shown to be in them. A demonstration that they were, in fact, being prepared to be a dwelling place for the Father and the Son. But only twelve men? (laughs) In a town the size of Ephesus? a town where Paul had already been preaching for some time. How could you have a group of only 12 men in a large city who had been baptized by John, or one of his disciples, but had never heard of the Holy Spirit, let alone Jesus, and yet could so easily come to belief? Simple. They were Old Testament saints. Remember, although John the Baptist's ministry is recorded in the New Testament, He's an Old Testament prophet. He he looked forward 
to the promise of the Messiah. These men had probably isolated themselves into a community in a misguided attempt to remain pure. Uh, They would then have had no unnecessary contact with either the mainline Jews or obviously any Gentiles. Uh, The Dead Sea Scrolls were preserved by just such a community, albeit a much larger one. Archaeologists have discovered evidence of a great number, hundreds of these communities. So this tiny community of men is the last type to come to Christ. In fact, it's the last recorded group to come to Christ in mass. Even if there was only a dozen of them. <laughs> From this time forward, we only hear of some of the Jews of Rome, 1,400 miles from Ephesus, that Paul is able to convince of the truth of Jesus. And none of them are said to speak in tongues. In fact, that's it. After this, nobody is said to speak in a language that they never learned. And yet, throughout the New Testament, we are assured, and indeed we know, that all believers experience the presence of the Holy Spirit from the moment they believe. And they are being sanctified, made into a dwelling place for the Father and the Son, by the Spirit. And so has, and is, every believer from that point to this day. But, except for some sporadic claims by, frankly, weird groups, no one claims to speak in tongues again for 1,800 years. What happened to this gift? And that related question, why don't obvious miracles occur commonly now? I'm not talking about those dubious claims where nobody is really sure what happened. I'm talking about miracles like Jesus and the apostles did, ones that nobody questioned were true. Even their enemies knew great signs had occurred. It was blatantly obvious. So why did tongues disappear? Why did tongues and those great signs seem to disappear? That is indeed about the people, the persons involved. We could say it this way. Why aren't there men like Jesus and the disciples running around healing people and laying hands on them so that they can speak in tongues? I know, there are those that claim they are. (laughs) But since their claims are highly questionable, even by guys like me who were a part of that community, they're clearly not like Jesus or the disciples, the leaders of the early church. What we're really saying is, why are things not like they were when the apostles were alive? Shouldn't we be living like the first century church? The book in the Bible that we call Hebrews is a letter to Jews of that time who had not yet decided whether to accept Jesus as the Messiah. As one Jew to another, the author wrote, How shall we escape judgment if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. All the Jews, including those who were believers in an Old Testament sense, had this great salvation declared to them, first by the Lord Jesus himself, then by those who heard Jesus. And they were given the witness of signs and wonders, miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. This, this was a very special time. Okay, Paul, who says he saw and was taught by Jesus out of time, after he had ascended to heaven, 
had to convince some folks his authority was from Christ. So he wrote, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience and with signs and wonders and mighty works. They knew, but we have to ask, what signs, Paul? Now we know a number of the miracles Paul did. But we might also ask, why did the Holy Spirit lead Luke to even record this one, this 12 guys coming to belief and then speaking in other languages. Multiplied thousands had come to Christ in hundreds of cities due to Paul's work. Why record this conversion of a dozen isolated Jewish separatists? (laughs) Because Paul laid his hands on them and this sign that they had received the gift of the Holy Spirit occurred because of Paul the Apostle. It was a sign. Have you ever noticed that every time speaking in tongues occurs, one or more of the apostles was involved? Every time. This was one of the signs of an apostle of Jesus Christ. And, as Paul earlier wrote to that same Corinthian church, it was a sign for believers, like the Jews at Pentecost, or the Jews and Gentiles at Cornelius' house or those strange monks from Ephesus who were the first who were first baptized by John. So, knowing all of this, we have a few questions. What does the Holy Spirit do now? For 1800 years of the church's life, nobody even claimed to have this sign to show the Holy Spirit's presence in their life. What sign was there that those multiplied millions had been given the Holy Spirit? What sign or signs do we have now to know that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, that he's living in us, making us a dwelling place for the Father and the Son? For if this is not occurring, we're not Christians. How can we know about other people and their relationship to the Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit do any kind of work now like what he did then? Oh yes, he does. (laughs) It surprises many people who are not from a Baptist background to find out that Baptist theologians have never said that none of this could occur. They only said that these are not signs of being filled with the Holy Spirit for our times. In fact, they were never intended to be the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit's indwelling. We would, by the way, say that any occurrence of miracles is not normative for today, but by no means do we say they cannot happen. I grew up in a charismatic church, an Assembly of God church. If somebody didn't speak in tongues every Sunday night, people people thought it was an obvious sign that our church was falling apart. We aren't praying enough. God is withdrawing His blessing from us. The Holy Spirit has left us. Or some such thing. The point being that they really believed this speaking in tongues showed that you were advanced in your spiritual life. It was, to be kind of blunt, a status symbol. <laughs> like in the Corinthian church that Paul took the task. By the way, side note, although you never know it by talking to the average AG pastor, remember, their theologians do not claim that this to be the gift of speaking in tongues as shown in the Bible. Sort of. The official statement of March 1st, 2010 reads, The speaking in tongues in this instance is the same in essence as the gift of tongues, but is different in purpose and use. 
having been involved in this sort of speaking in tongues, I can assure you that they are correct. <laughs> it is not the gift of speaking in tongues from the Holy Spirit. I don't think it has anything to do with the Spirit at all, but they would disagree. Still, they do say that people are regularly given the gift of speaking in tongues. And I would disagree with that. I should also stop and tell you that if you took the time to read the Assembly of God Statement of Faith, you'd appreciate almost everything in it. Their teachings do constitute true Christianity, although there are statements that I would obviously vigorously disagree with. There's nothing in their belief that would keep one from becoming a Christian and living a useful life for our Lord, although I do believe their position on these sign gifts tends to strangle Christian development. But... To get back to our thought, can speaking in tongues as taught and shown in the Bible occur today in any way? Yes. On the campus of my very own conservative Baptist seminary worked a woman who spent time in China teaching English. She brought a woman pregnant with her second child in China to the immigration office. And you know that most women in China found to be pregnant after having one child are forced to have an abortion. Uh, certainly they are ostracized and cut off from all government benefits if they keep a second child. This woman wanted to have this child, believed it to be God's will, and so she was seeking to immigrate. The Chinese government does not want its citizens going out into the world who do not represent the people of China well, and you can't leave without their approval. So absolutely, you must speak the language well, in this case, English. Problem. She didn't. <laughs> she couldn't. Karen was her teacher. She knew there was no chance. Still, they go for the appointment, sit down, and the official starts the conversation in English. <laughs> and to Karen's utter amazement, her student responds in crystal clear English. Perfect English for the entire conversation, which lasted about an hour. When they get back to the car, this woman can only speak broken English. Serious. This is a true story. Karen told me herself. Was this speaking in tongues? Well, I don't know. Sure kind of sounds like it to me. But I do know that that Chinese woman and her husband are now living in New Zealand raising six kids. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, I, don't, I, know, I know this too, that if some missionary ended up with a people who spoke a language he or she didn't know, God could very well instantly give them the ability to speak that language. He could. And it would be for the advancement of the good news of Jesus, not to bring glory to the person speaking. But considering our Chinese mom, was this a sign that the Holy Spirit lives within her? If a miracle happens today, and they do, does that prove that the Holy Spirit is in the lives of the people involved? Well, maybe, but I want you to hear an important scripture. Then I saw another beast rise out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. During the time that we call the tribulation, 
the prophet of the Antichrist will do miracles. And so, by the way, will some prophets sent by God. Well, how could a person know the difference? Especially when, as Paul warns us, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. How do we know when a person is one of Satan's agents? Or that they have the Holy Spirit living within them? Miracles, including speaking in tongues, clearly cannot tell us. So, what is the sign of a believer? What are the signs of an unbeliever? We can't see a person's spirit. Like God can. So the Apostle Paul, who knew a thing or two about signs, gave us two lists that help us. The first points toward the unbeliever. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Almost 2,000 years later, and all you got to do is turn on the TV to find out that people haven't changed. A person whose life is characterized by these things is probably one whose life is dominated by the spirit of the Antichrist. And as Paul warns, unless they admit they are dominated by the spirit, repent and believe that Jesus can and will save them and then commit their lives to Christ, they will not have eternal life. The signs of the spirit that animates them clearly shows this. But how are we doing in our Christian life? Do we display too much of that first list? Or can we honestly see ourselves changing as in Paul's other list? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You see, a person who displays evermore the fruit of the Spirit is a person who is being made a dwelling place for the Father and the Son by the Spirit. And so we understand Paul's plea. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. None of us are there yet. <laughs> not all the way we all still have some of that old list in us but we have made the choice we read scripture we consume the bible and it transforms us hey, you are what you eat right <laughs> and there is a sign that the holy spirit is in us our movement towards love joy peace patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But can we really do it? Can we live it? <laughs> you remember a message from a few weeks back, uh, we will do it. As Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, God will make this happen. <laughs> For he who calls you is faithful. This is a 
mixed up world. It's mixed up with those who have the spirit of the living God in them and display more and more of the fruit of the spirit. And those who have the spirit of the Antichrist in them and display ever more the works of the flesh. Sometimes it's very confusing. And I can understand those who want a clear, unmistakable sign of who's who. Those who speak in tongues are the good guys. Those who don't, aren't. But that's not what God wants the world to see in us. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, he wants us to grow in love, to become ever closer to that person we will be who can be a dwelling place for the Father and the Son. That way, Jesus can bring us to the dwelling place he is preparing for us. It's love that God wants people to see in us. Not the quick and, let's admit it, simplistic sign of tongues. That would be the easy way out. So, even though it's harder to see the Spirit in us this way, it's the, it is the best way. And God wants the best for us. And for those we love, show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And those around you will see the Spirit of the living God, Creator, shining through Father, we want to show your Spirit living in us. It would sure be nice if it was easier. <laughs> Just put a little light on our heads and turn it on and people would know. But that's not the way you want it. You want us to show it a more difficult way because you want us to grow in you. You want us to show up. You want us to care for each other. And the world will see that. And they'll wonder why. But also to care for those who aren't yet yours. We don't know who all those will be. But we do know that every person we see could be. So we pray that you would help us. Show love. Show peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Help us, Lord, to be these things to people, and then they will see your spirit in us. Maybe, just maybe, it will draw them to you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to worship with us, maybe this next Sunday. You can also join us online at southbeachhope.org. We'd appreciate your financial support if that is possible. We are a tiny church in a small town, but at least with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and everyone around the world. Hopefully we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture. <laughs>